coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, Corn, you believe it? The Colonel Privilege Escalation is back. Next up, let's spill the FT code on PowerShell Ransomware. And finally, introducing our fun new game with Tarek, Emily, and myself. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 28, recorded on October 7th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. It's all pun and games until someone gets hurt, LaBelle. With me, co-host Emily Ransom, where? Hacker. And last, but not least, Tarek, malware sommelier, Salah. Sounds very fancy. Would you pair a certain malware with my... What? I don't even know. What's a fancy food steak? That's all I can wine. <laughs> well, they pair wine with food, right? I That's don't true. Even know. I'm not classy enough, apparently, to know anything about this. Yeah, yeah. I recommend a uh, a nice red wine to go with uh, PowerShell ransomware. Oh, uh, yeah. So. All right. Well, appreciate. I respect the hustle there with the sommelier. Um, somebody recently said to me around the office, I thought this was hilarious. What if the sommelier was Somalian? A Somalian sommelier. That is a tongue twister. That is really cool. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) So we have some exciting stuff today. We are going to go through two articles in depth like we normally do. And then we have something fun in store for the third portion of our podcast. So stay tuned for that. Um, In the meantime, corn you believe it. The colonel privilege escalation is back. Emily deserves full props for that pun. By props, she means please send all hate mail for that pun to me. <laughs> Emily's like, don't at me. Don't at me. Um, dread phones. Add our dread phones. <laughs> um, Google's threat analysis group, a.k.a. TAG, says that a new Android O-Day is actively being exploited in the wild in attacks targeting vulnerable Google Pixel, Huawei, Xiaomi, Samsung, Oppo, and Moto phones. So... Before we dive in, and Tarek's going to cover this particular piece, this O-Day is described as a kernel local privilege escalation, or an LPE bug. So let's start with what exactly that means, that LPE bug. Yeah, so anytime you hear about like what a local privilege escalation uh, bug is, that's where you have a code running in like the user space. So you have kernel space and you have user space. User space is what we deal with every day when we log into our computers. Um, We can't access uh, more sensitive parts of the operating system. Those are kind of restricted. Uh, There's a nice uh, border there um, preventing that. Um, So whenever you say local privilege escalation, that's when you can go from a standard user to like an administrator or like if you're on Windows, they call that the system user. If you're on Linux, it's the root user. Um, So that's what a local privilege escalation bug is. Um, And there's a lot of different ways to get there. And in this specific case, uh, Google's Project Zero discovered this use after free vulnerability in the binder driver of the Android OS. And so what a use after free vulnerability is, is when a uh, program or a piece of code attempts to access memory after it's already been freed up by the kernel or the system, in which case, uh, in this specific case, uh, that occurred with the binder program. allowed arbitrary code execution uh, with the highest privileges possible. Thank you for that description, Tarek. Um, I know there are brute forcing attacks. Is there a root forcing attacks? Ooh. Opportunity. It's knocking. It's a very poor knock. We have a table to knock on. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. We're warming up. (laughs) 
So how did uh, Tag identify this O'Day? These they're really good. I mean, that's that's the the TLDR of it. These the folks at uh, um, you know uh, Project Zero and Google's uh, threat group um, they're pretty phenomenal at what they do. Um, I always get a little bit excited whenever I see a Project Zero uh, discovery uh, kind of hit the news, and this is another really cool one uh, that they do. And so you know, one of the things is Android is an open source operating system, um, and so the source code's readily available, which makes it a lot easier to do code reviews and and kind of set up your fuzzing instrumentation to find vulnerabilities. So I don't think this one was uh, too difficult for them to find. Well said. And and let's get into the actual exploit. So how was the exploit itself delivered? Yeah, this one was kind of interesting. So um, if you read through um, Project Zero's release, um, there uh, there's two avenues. Uh, the proof of concept that was already released uh, for the use after free vulnerability uh, that allowed a local privilege escalation was through uh, an untrusted app. So if you took this exploit code and compiled it, you could trojanize a, a, you know, a, an APK or an Android app um, and get people to install it that way. Um, the other means of delivering this exploit code could be done through the web. So um, that would involve doing a chained exploit where you would grab, um, and in this case, uh, Project Zero, um, they mentioned that you could grab a uh, exploit for Chrome um, used to do some rendering for web content, and you could deliver this through a URL too. Um, and uh, according to um, Tag, which is really interesting, is that the uh, vulnerability itself is being exploited in the wild right now by the NSO Group, uh, which is a Israeli cyber intelligence company. And uh, you've probably heard about them in the news over the past couple of years uh, for some pretty noteworthy events. One of the biggest ones is the Pegasus malware, uh, which was used to target uh, human rights activists in the United Arab Emirates. Um, and, it, and that was delivered through a URL inside of a SMS text message. Um, so with this specific uh, use after free vulnerability, um, like I said, a user can get exploited by installing an untrusted app. Um, this is one of the big major security downfalls of the Android ecosystem right now is that it's pretty trivial to sideload and include uh, malicious code into the App Store. Um, so this one I can see um, uh, being real serious here in the next couple days because I believe there's a seven-day timeline on the release. It's interesting, too. I appreciate the context there. That's always interesting to to hear a little bit more about how and who delivered the particular exploit. But it also sounds like this issue was previously patched in December of 2017. Um, and so I'm curious how this happened again and where we saw that occur. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, I was reading through the bug report, too, and I thought that was kind of uh, crazy that we saw or it was discovered this uh, local privilege escalation vulnerability in the kernel um, or in the binder uh, application uh, that was never given a CVE. I thought that was really crazy. So, um, you know, while I don't think we have any hard hard set data to show implicitly why this happened, my guess is that uh, because this was never given a CVE and this bug was never really officially formalized, yet it was patched, um, that it might have been swept under the proverbial rug uh, with that insecure code. Um, oftentimes, that kind of stuff can happen where if specific code isn't uh, like uh, given um, like a signature of some type that gets picked up in static code analyzers, um, the code will oftentimes be recycled and reused. And I'm willing to bet that's probably what happened here. It just slipped under the radar. Mm, yeah, that's terrifying and, and fascinating to hear. 
and also concerning if I didn't voice that by saying terrifying. <laughs> so what can be learned from this particular this mistake that, you know, according to you, happens more frequently than we'd like to admit? Yeah, yeah. I think this is just another reaffirmation. You know, all code has bugs and all code has vulnerabilities in it. That's I think we need to kind of accept that, too, especially in the mobile security space. Um, you know, with Checkmate uh, last week uh, and this one um, for Android this week. Um, so I, that's normal. I think the the real crux of the problem is when vulnerabilities are weaponized and manufacturers don't address it timely with patches. Um, and I still think this is one of the biggest security risks with Android. Google still has not solved this problem. It's still a gamble whether your device will be supported with patches or not. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think it leads well into the question we always like to ask that factors in heavily into the hoodie score, which is what's what's the scope or what's the impact of the vulnerability? What devices does it affect? How much should we care? There's too much to care about to care about at all. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a, there's a pretty decent non-authoritative list out there right now uh, of, I believe it's 18-plus Android uh, flagship models. These aren't necessarily, you know, the small fry ones. These are like the Pixel uh, and and some of the Samsung devices out there. So they're not like the small $20 Androids. These are some of the flagship models too. Uh, so the scope is huge um, and the impact is also huge too. Um, I was kind of thinking about it comparing this vulnerability with like the Checkmate vulnerability. And, um, you know, part of the assessment there was that uh, with Checkmate, your personal data is relatively protected with the secure enclave that Apple has. That's the security on a hardware chip. Um, not all of the devices on that list have that. Google has one, I believe it's called the Titan M chip. And I think only like the Pixel 3 on that list has that capability. So your personal data is pretty affected at this point, whereas you don't have the, the security and comfort of like a uh, hardware or uh, security on a chip to protect you or your personal data. So if you have one of these older devices, might be a good idea to upgrade. That's sort of the message of the last two weeks is we're selling a lot of phones, I think, for um, Apple and Android specifically. You're welcome, Apple. <laughs> I'll take a piece Android. of that money. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's go right into the hoodie score. We'll start with you, Emily. What do you think? Yeah, this one is obviously pretty serious, as Tarek has pointed out. Um, I do think that um, it is just kind of an, um, an unfortunate fact that as we learn more things about more vulnerabilities, not just in Android in this case, obviously in Android, but in other phones and other types of hardware, like computers and stuff, you're going to have to just get a new phone at times. That's just, or a new device, if you will, at times. Like there, there are things that are going to crop up and you have to upgrade. Like, I'm so sorry, but that's just like the way of the world. Google has already patched it in the October update for Pixel 1 and 2. Um, Pixel 3 wasn't affected as you mentioned Tarek so that's good but as you mentioned the thing about Android that I think makes it look like the big bad wolf or whatever is that other phones obviously can use Android so Google can fix it on Pixel but all these other devices may still be vulnerable and worldwide those types of Android phones are widely adopted I know here in the US it seems like everybody has an iPhone um, but I know worldwide there's a lot more adoption of Android um, than iPhone. And so that makes this kind of a huge deal for people that aren't able to just, you know, drop everything and go get a new phone. So I do think that this one is pretty high, probably like a seven hoodies out of 10, um, just because of the fact that it's 
on some of these non-Google hardware phones, it's it's not going to be 100% up to them about when and how and if it gets patched. Um, and, of course, I can sit here and preach, like, you're just going to have to get a new phone. You're just going to have to get a new phone, and that's fine and dandy if you're able to. Right. Absolutely. And that's another good point, too, because, again, when the onus lies on the consumer to go purchase a new device when these bugs are exposed they're going to likely go spend money with the same vendor that they bought the phone from. So it's sort of an interesting business model of sorts, not to be overly a... Tinfoil hattie. Yeah, tinfoil hattie or pessimistic. Um, but yeah, and, and Tarek, I'm curious what you grade this at. You know, I reserve 10 out of 10 and sometimes 9 out of 10 for major stuff like shell shock, where, you know, the impact is just affects the entire internet. I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10. Um, this one's really serious. Um, uh, you know, you do have uh, individuals that buy phones a little bit on the cheaper side because it makes economic sense for them. And so speaking of economic sense, it might not make sense uh, for them to even want to purchase another phone, like a newer phone. Um, and, and that's under the, the assumption they even know uh, they read this article or they know about the vulnerability. And like if my grandmother had a device that was affected, she wouldn't know. She wouldn't care. And you know, she'd probably continue on, but she's still at risk and her personal data is at risk. So um, this it's this one's pretty bad. Um, yeah, I'm going to stick with that 8 out of 10. Um, I'm really, really curious to see how things kind of manifest in like a couple weeks when uh, exploit code is more uh, public and uh, gets more adopted. And uh, we'll see what this looks like moving forward. But until like a lot of these older devices get updated, and some of them don't, like some of them on those lists, they're, Samsung's not going to update those phones. They've already declared that. This is bad. Well, on that positive note. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't good. <laughs> Let's lead into our second discussion. Thank you both for your thoughts on that particular article. Um, the next one is let's spill the FT code on PowerShell ransomware. If you don't know, the kids, the Utes these days, <laughs> talk about spilling the T if that pun wasn't making sense. Or it's just not funny. One of the two. It's funny. <laughs> oh, thank you, Emily. Uh, so an old PowerShell ransomware has resurfaced with a vengeance in a spam distribution aimed at Italian recipients. This ransomware is called FT Code and is completely PowerShell-based, which means it can encrypt the computer without downloading any additional components. So Emily, for starters, according to Certigo, the security firm who analyzed this particular code, found that it was the same variant as ransomware discovered by Sophos in 2013. So can you provide some context here? Yeah, so in March of 2013, Sophos released a report about a, at the time, new Russian ransomware that was written completely in PowerShell. Um, obviously, it appears that this is the same ransomware now. However, um, it kind of fell off the face of the earth since 2013, since the time that that article was written. According to Sertigo and this report that was just released this past week, they had a few reasons as to why it wasn't so effective and why it had dropped off the face of the earth. So for one, at the time, they're saying Windows XP was still pretty widely used and PowerShell isn't um, uh, installed by default until Windows 7. And so in order for a PowerShell-based ransomware to work, the attackers were having to first ensure that PowerShell was downloaded or else downloaded onto the victim machine. Um, and in addition, at the time, um, other pieces of malware that are easier to stop now were a lot more effective, such as Zeus. And so I don't think threat actors were wanting to spend as much time figuring out how to make a PowerShell 
malware work for them when there was other types of malware that were working. So all in all, this ransomware kind of made an appearance in 2013 and then went into hiding, if you will, for the past five years. And now it is back with a vengeance. I love the way you described that. It felt like a PowerShell infomercial, like, is the PowerShell for you? That was beautiful. I my calling. I guess I should have been an infomercial <laughs> spokesperson. Emily, knower of things, hacker, infomercial extraordinaire. That'll Are extremely okay. basic tasks very difficult for you to complete? <laughs> That's how I envision infomercials. <laughs> All right. So how is this ransomware distributed? Um, as you mentioned, this is a spam campaign. So it's being delivered to the victims via phishing email. So in this case, the email contains a Microsoft Word document attachment that is purporting to be an invoice of sorts. Um, if the user opens up the attachment, they are prompted in the document to disable quote-unquote protected view, at which point um, a malicious macro um, will, will download the ransomware. So it's important to note this is absolutely not unique at all as far as malware delivery goes. Fake invoices, Microsoft Word document attachments, and malicious macros are all up there and like being the most common delivery methods for all type of malware, not just ransomware. So as a side note, it's kind of, you know, important to see if it's viable to block Word macros um, at your organization. And then this type of ransomware won't even be a threat to you. My mind goes back to fourth grade dare when they told me not to be an enabler. And I yes. think this applies really well to security. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see some research, actually, where they look at macros and sort of the the market that exists for these not-so-nice macros. I they... have, I'm just going to throw this out there because why not? I tried to get the word macros to be a thing, like malicious macros, <laughs> macros. It didn't catch on at the time, but I'm, I'm going to try again now. So <laughs> macros, it's a thing. Macros, it's a thing. There you go, your first infomercial. <laughs> it all comes together. So going back to this particular example, what happens after the victim downloads the attachment? Yeah, so after the victim you know, downloads the attachment and enables the macro, the macro runs a PowerShell process that invokes the ransomware code itself. It also pulls down a variant of Jasper Loader, which um, allows the threat actor to download additional payloads if they so desire. And it also maintains persistence by creating a scheduled task that runs on reboot. After this, the malware checks first to make sure that the machine is not already infected by FT code. And if it's not, it goes ahead and checks for drives that have at least 50... Um... Oh my god, what is KB? <laughs> Good old kilobytes. Kilobytes. I was like, carabyte. Carab okay. It's a malcro. Yeah. If it's not, the malware goes ahead and checks for all drives with at least 50 kilobytes of free space and um, then goes ahead and finds files that have certain extensions. It's like a ton of extensions. I didn't copy and paste it to read because it was just a lot. So pretty much all extensions. And then it goes ahead and encrypts the first 40,960 bytes of each of those files. Um, and then finally, it appends the .ft code extension on the end of those files and then creates a ransom note in the affected folders for the user to find. And the ransom note is a standard ransom note that just says, oh, your files have been encrypted. Go to this site and pay us and you'll get your files back or whatever. So it's pretty standard. Standard ransom. A stansom. A stansom note for a, a malcro attack. I feel... Like you're making fun of me, Kelsey. I would never. <laughs> How dare you? 
<laughs> so I read an update uh, from a bleeping computer article, and it was in the comments, and one of the readers pointed out that someone actually paid the ransom and didn't get the decryptor. So are there any other reports of how many people have been affected or impacted on this ransomware outside of <laughs> a comment on a article? Yeah, so I looked on Twitter, I looked in all the usual places, and I didn't see very many reports of people that were complaining about being impacted by this by this ransomware or not getting the decryptor other than that tweet cited by Bleeping Computer. But I feel that that's actually more likely due to people not paying the ransom, which they are correct to not pay the ransom, or not reporting the failure out of an attempt to hide the fact that they're facing a cyber incident. So if it's a corporation, for example, it's uh, not something that is in most corporations' playbook to go ahead and tweet about a cyber, an active cyber incident. Um, this certainly is not the first time that a ransomware decryptor hasn't worked um, after payment was given, which is part of why the FBI urges infected corporations and individuals to never pay a ransomware ransom. Um, last week, we talked about the Revil <laughs> ransomware and how that variant was offering to decrypt three files for free before the user paid the ransom. And this is why I think we mentioned it last week that Part of that was to prove that the decryptor worked. And this is kind of what I was talking about because people are rightfully scared that they will pay a ransom and then they won't get their files anyway, which is what seems to be happening to at least some individuals in this case. Yeah, that that would be deeply frustrating to pay all those those darn Bitcoin and not get your files back. It's hard when we don't know the overall impact. And like you said, this is sort of a run of the, the mill ransomware attack, but Tarek, I'm curious what you'd rate this at. You know, as we see more and more ransomware attacks get popular, um, my inclination is to always give it a higher hoodie rating, but with the way that we're, that, that uh, operating system level protections and detections are improving, like with Microsoft, um, that's one of the reasons why uh, the Empire post-exploitation framework isn't supported anymore, is that a lot of these baked-in technologies to detect malicious PowerShell is... Uh, getting pushed by Microsoft now. Um, so I hope to see this kind of wean off as people are updating and patching, but we know how that can be. Um, so I'm going to give this one a 4 out of 10. What do you think, Emily? Yeah, I agree that this one is on the lower end. I was also thinking 4 out of 10 hoodies, just because, as I mentioned, nothing about this is that sophisticated um, or overly unique. You know, they're using a fake invoice, a Microsoft Word document, a... Malcro, if you will. And <laughs> Malcro will never happen, Emily. Oh my God, it's going to happen. <laughs> um, it'll save me how many like characters of typing out the word malicious? Just trust me, it's happening. But um, anyways, point being, this one, as with all ransomwares, is not a good thing. And especially the fact that someone may have paid and not gotten their files decrypted, that certainly sucks. But if you take the precautions that you would take for any ransomware, such as maintaining up-to-date backups, um, as I mentioned before, maybe not allowing uh, macros, at least from emails, to be, you know, executed in your environment or whatever. And of course, like user training about strange, unexpected invoice emails, this is something that should not be affecting too many people if they follow all that advice. So um, that's a very long-winded way for me to agree and say four out of ten hoodies. Cool. This is a good moment here to agree because we are about to enter 
the danger zone of competition <laughs> with our new segment called Two Truths and a Lie. So without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce a new segment here on Breaking Badness. We are going to play a game. Do you want to play a game? They said yes with their eyes. So you're likely familiar with Two Truths and a Lie. So we added a little bit of a twist. So each week, one of us will come prepared with three article titles, two of which, as you would imagine, aren't real truths, if you will, and one is a lie. So now all three of us are fairly competitive people, myself more than Emily and Tarek. I'm kidding. That's that's a joke. (laughs) They look ready, though. Gosh, I'm scared. I I shouldn't have done that. Um, so we're, we're also creating a point system too. And so we're going to keep track of this week over week. And so we're going to have one designated, we're calling them the Dolos, who is the Greek god of spirit, trickery, and guile. It also, sounds like a, it also sounds like a delicious dish, too, it does. doesn't like, it? It sounds like a Greek dish. Like, yeah. a Greek dolos, dish. like they'd be wrapped in grape leaves or something. Mm. Yeah. Well, we could get some grape leaves and wrap. <laughs> Tarek, would you like to be wrap, wrapped in some Greek leaves? Please, yes. That sounds, that like sounds like a delicious. new like, skincare kind of thing. A new skincare. <laughs> to be clear, I said guile to be funny. Okay. It's, it's guile. I just wanted to see the look in Emily's eyes. Um, which guile, if you didn't know, means sly or cunning intelligence. Um, so this the dolos the um, guile sort person is going to try to trick the two participants. In this case, it's Emily and myself. And so Tarek is this week's Dolos. So this is how the point system works. I promise we won't go through it in this much depth every week. But basically Tarek, the Dolos, will receive a point for every participant he deceives. So his top possible score is a two. On the other hand, if either Emily or myself, so the participants, guess correctly, we receive a point. So max point value of one. So with that, let the games begin. All right. Time to get my trickery on. (laughs) So let me get started with the first article. Uh, Earlier last month, over 500 million plus Android users have installed apps from the Google Play Store that are bundled with malware. The New York Attorney General has filed lawsuits against McDonald's over the company's alleged failure to notify customers of a breach. Social media platforms will be forced to disclose encrypted messages from suspected terrorists, pedophiles, and other serious criminals in a new treaty between the U.S. and the U.K. All right, ladies, have at it. Hmm. I am so nervous right now. (laughs) I've been, like, off of my... I know. I'm, like, a little, like, (gasps) heart rate is up. I have not been up to date on the cyber news as much as I normally like to be, just been busy and so like those all those all sound plausible it's do you hear her already coming up with excuses I, I do, this is for sure <laughs> I do. Up and I hear, your, I hear your cockiness from over here too yeah I mean mm. this like mental cardio is building up all of <laughs> the dopamine in my brain and I'm about to fall so hard when I lose to Emily or you right <laughs> now <laughs> I think like I so I feel like the the first one, the Android, 500 million users. I feel like that one's true, if not undersold a little bit, as if more users are downloading malware. Um, <laughs> the second one was about the McDonald's breach. Is that what you said? Yeah. There was a McDonald's breach a while ago. I distinctly remember, but it was like a long time ago. And then the third one was about encrypted messages 
um, just for those types of people? Well, so the there's a new treaty between the U.S. and the U.K. that says any WhatsApp, Facebook, social media messages can be decrypted by law and given to the government of the U.K. Would you like to guess first, Emily? Or would you like me to guess first? I'm fine either way. I'm still... I, I want to believe that last one, like, but I also don't want to believe it. I want it to only be for, like, convicted pedophiles or something, but also that's a slippery slope as far as, like, decrypting everyone's messages. Slope. Yeah. I'm going to go with article number two, not so happy meal. Was that what it was called? Or did you just come I up just with that? came up with that. Wow. I love it. <laughs> Now, He's loving it. Number ah. <laughs> now, what's your guess for that? So I'm going to guess that that is the lie, and then now Emily needs to guess what she thinks the lie is. Okay, I'm going to go with the third one, the treaty one being a lie. Okay. Drum roll, please. Kelsey. Not so yeah. happy! Yep. I'm putting my fist in the air like the, I just don't care. So what the actually privacy happens, advocate in me just really doesn't want that to be <laughs> a thing. But yeah, I know that one's a real sad one too, especially because okay. the U.S. like uh, all of our uh, technology companies gave into the U.K. government there. So uh, there's where the I want to believe sadness comes in. But, yeah, you know. yeah, and they're, and What's they're, that? they're uh, lowering <laughs> uh, privacy uh, in favor of uh, going after the terrorists, right? And so, it's also like the it's it doesn't sorry, but it doesn't sound like it's like previously is it like after they've been convicted or is it just like we're trying to convict this person of being a pedophile, so let's just like decrypt all of their Here's the freaking... key word suspected. That's why I don't like it. Oh god, I hate it. Sad <laughs> so you can have my points, just please take that back. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah, the UK though, they've always been notorious for invasions of privacy. They're almost as bad as China. What it actually was was uh, the New York Attorney General did file a suit, but not against McDonald's. Over it was Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Yep. Somebody, My family in Boston would be very upset. Yeah. So if you ever did uh, business with Dunkin' Donuts, uh, your data may or may not have been personal data may or may not have been affected, and they didn't let anyone know they got popped. They got popped. Those sweet, delicious donut recipes. Do you remember the McDonald's <gasps> one from a while back? Like it was like a McDonald's app, and people were like something it was charging them or like they their credit cards are being stolen off the app and mcdonald's was like not our fault like nose goes basically about oh, who was to blame but that was years ago i think that's also happened with starbucks i think i think that's just a oh norm. yeah i remember that with starbucks that was great <laughs> anyways okay so tark gets one point kelsey gets one point and emily me gets zero points and a whole boatload of sadness about the loss of privacy in our <laughs> lives. We also all, all three of us got those negative points of reality. Yeah. <laughs> but you are correct. It's one to one here, a tight neck race between Tarek and myself. Next week, we have a special episode for you. So we will not be playing this game in two subsequent weeks. So Emily will have a chance to come up to with get, some doozies. To get ready. Um, <laughs> to come up with some doozies. <laughs> some doozies. All three of us will come up with some shenanigans. But anyway, <laughs> so thank you both for your competitive spirit and your knowledge of things, knowledge of all things. We'll be back next week for a special episode, a guest episode. We have a few of those coming up, so do keep your ears out. And until then, stay safe and uh, don't drink and click. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. 
All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.